0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to the Lord. The Pharisees approached Jesus and asked, is it lawful for a husband to divorce his wife? They were testing him. He said to them in reply, what did Moses command you? They replied, Moses permitted a husband to write a bill of divorce and dismiss her. But Jesus told them, because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. In the house, the disciples again questioned Jesus about this. He said to them, "'Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another,' She commits adultery. And people were bringing children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he became indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not prevent them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I say to you, Whoever does not accept the kingdom of God, like a child, will not enter it. Then he embraced them and blessed them, placing his hands on them. The gospel of the Lord thanks me to you.
1: That rib in the beginning of Genesis must surely be the most famous rib in all the world. You know, we human beings don't pay attention to ribs very much, unless, of course, they're from a nice fattened uh, pork and they've been covered in barbecue sauce or something like that, but generally speaking, the ribs that we own, the ones that are part of our bodies, we just don't pay much attention to them. They, day in and day out, they do their work of protecting our organs and and that's about it. Ribs are not generally considered to be uh, worthy of a lot of attention. But this rib, the rib in Genesis, that one is uh, kind of world famous. The story surrounding this Genesis rib is, is kind of a weird one, I have to admit right up front. So the first thing that's weird about it is that it's really part of the second story, a second story of creation. You've already had one story of God creating the world, the one where he does it in seven days, you know, and sees that it's good. It's very poetic and beautiful. Um, but God sort of remains a... Uh, kind of the master creator up there in the sky, or up there in charge of all the universe, and he creates one, two, three, four, it's all very orderly, and that must be God calling right now to tell me to shut up or something, I don't know. Um, He's not happy with my description of the seven days. But then just as soon as that story ends, it starts all over again, but in a completely different way. In the second story of creation, in the second chapter of Genesis, God doesn't end with humanity being created. He starts that way. So you've got the earth and it's barren and it's dry and there's nothing there except for one little spring of water and out of that dust and water and mud, God himself begins the creation process by by creating this beautiful human being, you know, the first man. And, And you kind of think, well, that's kind of a weird place to start because he's got to start out his life and start the human race in the middle of desolation. There's nothing there. But in the second story of creation, God comes across as, as very, very caring about this guy. He's not up there in the sky, distant, sort of creating the world in seven days. He's right down there with him. And he recognizes from the very start that he maybe began backwards and maybe he should have created some vegetation first before he set this guy and put his spirit into him and brought him to life. So he gets busy and, and he starts creating this beautiful lush world and it's this garden that he places this, this man into. And, and, and then he starts coming across as kind of like a Jewish mother concerned for her only son. Because there's something not right about this guy that he's created. And so he, he doesn't really have a conversation, but he senses that, well, he's lonely. <laughs> the poor guy's the only guy in the whole world, and yes, he's living in a beautiful garden, but... There is no other creature around. And so God gets busy creating out of the same dust and water and mud, you know, one creature after another to, to accompany and to kind of fulfill him. And the, the little human being keeps saying, well, yeah, you know, I, it's, it's a beautiful garden, and but I just feel kind of lonely and kind of depressed. And it's not very much fun being by myself. So God creates a... I don't know, a llama or something. and he says, here, <laughs> have a llama. This will make you happy. And the guy plays with the llama and he gives him a name. and, and, and But he's still, at the end of the day, he's still kind of sick in the heart. So then God creates a zebra. zebras. So, Look at the stripes on this one. And he says, oh, fun, zebras. Okay, yeah, we have got zebras. And he does the same thing with lions and tigers and bears. And each time... Each time this human being says, gosh, it's beautiful, it's a wonderful creation, but, but it's not filling me. I feel something missing in my life. Oh, darn it. Says, God, let me try again. So then he creates puppies and says, here, have a puppy or two or five. And he says, they're really fun and they're so full of life and they're faithful and, and they're beautiful, but there's still something missing in me. And God says, oh, gosh. You know, what can I do for you? What's wrong, Adam? What's, what's, what's missing? And Adam says, I don't know. You know, I, maybe, I, maybe I just want to be able to love like you love me. You know, to be able to give myself and, and have something outside of myself that I can love that's, that's, that's going to fulfill me and make me t- who I am who I really am. So God, the Jewish mother, goes back to his kitchen and cooks up, you know, something really special. And and then he thinks about this a little bit and he changes his, his image from Jewish mother to to surgeon. So he goes in and he lays Adam out and he puts him in anesthesia. So he goes into this nice sleep and he he cuts into his chest and opens him up and takes out a rib and seals him back up. Really a good surgeon. Those stitches were great. And then and then he takes that rib and he uses it to make another human being. You know, a partner, a friend, a companion, someone that this first man can love and be loved by so that they both can experience what it's like to be like God, to love and feel joy and meaning and purpose and communion in life. And that's kind of the second thing that's weird about this story is why didn't God just create the woman like he created all the other creatures out of the dust and the mud? But he doesn't. He takes Adam's own rib and uses it to create this person. And there's kind of an obvious meaning to that. Why did God do it that way instead of the way he created Adam himself and all the other creatures? Well, gosh, it's so simple to see, I guess. Because he wanted this first man to know that he could never be complete. There would always be something missing. Unless he was one with this other person. Unless there was a true communion between them. There a true concern and compassion and, and unity between them. That they become one body, one flesh, one blood and bone together. That's how intimate they were to be. How close they were to be. How one they were to be if they were to fulfill God's dream for them and love like God loves. And that's exactly, of course, how the story begins. The two become one. And as they explain, that's why even to this day, you know, a man leaves his own mother and father to go and become one with someone else. It's a lovely story, after all. And we begin to see why that rib is now world famous. And it also helps us understand why Jesus in today's Gospel is so forceful when He's talking to that group of Pharisees who've put on their Pharisees ways and they're going to come and test Jesus and probe Him and try to trap Him. And they come up to Jesus and they say, Hey Jesus, we've got a question for you. Is it lawful? Is it right for a man... to divorce his wife and leave her aside. And Jesus sees the trap that they're setting. He sees that if he answers that it is, then he is complicit in a terrible practice that was part and parcel of their sociology, of their social life. This practice of the man in the family having every right to dismiss his wife whenever he wanted to for whatever reason, without any reason. They could just say, be gone, out of here. And the wife would have to go and she had no recourse. And clearly she had no right to do the same to him. So it's a completely unequal system. But it's also a system that plunges that woman then into desperation. Because once she's out of the house, she has no way to support herself. So she's left to her, to her ways. And no other man is, gonna, is going to marry her. She's completely lost for the left of her, rest of her life. And so she has to go out and beg in the streets to even eat a little bit. Or far worse, in the streets. Who knows? And, and that's the, the awful thing that they're proposing to Jesus. Is it okay to do that? Because Moses says we can. It says in the law of Moses that we can divorce. We can get rid of our wives whenever we want. And this is the trap. If Jesus says, no you can't, you have to protect your wives and care for them. He can't just dismiss them and send them out into the street to beg for the rest of their lives. Then he's contravening the law of Moses and setting himself above Moses. But if he agrees with Moses, and he's complicit in this awful practice which the Pharisees themselves know stinks to high heaven and is despicable. And that's why Jesus goes back to the rib. His answer to them, his way of escaping the trap is to go back to that rib in the very, very beginning of Genesis, the second chapter, when God creates man. And pulls out of his, his chest this rib and uses it to create the woman, Eve. And he says, this is what this is all about. We're not talking about a bone. We're not talking about marrow. We're not talking about a bunch of calcium. We're talking about concern and compassion and the desire of one human being to experience unity and communion with another. We're talking about the desire of all humanity to to live together in a way in which real communion among us human beings is, is finally achieved because that's the only way we're ever going to experience the kingdom of God. That's the only way we're going to experience God's love in our lives. If we love like God loves, with faithfulness, with foreverness, With kindness and concern and compassion and care and respect for one another. So you Pharisees are absolutely wrong. It's a false question. It's obvious that the way we treat our women is deplorable. It's also obvious that you've misunderstood the law of Moses. And even more, you've misunderstood the law of God, which is a law of love. In unity, in communion, our destiny as human beings, the meaning of our life is to be one with one another. And Jesus doesn't just apply this to marriage, not just to husbands and wives. The very next thing he does is he takes a bunch of hard-scrabble little kids from the street and he takes them and embraces them and blesses them and says, you old people, you got to become like these people these little ones. And he goes on, of course, throughout the Gospels, sharing his grace, his light, his love, his compassion, becoming one with lepers and Samaritans and Canaanite women and all kinds of people, no matter who they are, because they all, as he understands, have within them the breath of God. All of them have within them That rib that God took out of Adam's chest and placed not just in Eve's, but in all of us. So he doesn't reserve his ministry just to his own people, or just to his own family, or just to to whomever. It's anyone and everyone he comes across. (coughs) Even to the point where when he is at the very end of his life, He shares his very self fully and completely in communion with all of us, with dignity and respect and care and concern and compassion for everybody who's standing at the foot of that cross to the far reaches of the world. This is the meaning of that rib that we hear about in the second chapter of Genesis. It's the rib of communion. It's the rib of love. It's the rib of respect that everybody has to have for everybody because it lives in all of us. It's within us all. We're all children, creatures of God. We all have God's Spirit within us. And we all have one vocation, one calling, and that is to communion, to fidelity, to respect, to unity among ourselves. That rib is rightly famous because it's God in us all.